My name is Paul Owen, and this is the Sales Talent Podcast. Hello again, and welcome back to the Sales Talent Podcast. This is, of course, Series 3, where we are focusing exclusively on women in sales. And in episode six, we have a guest from my old world of international property. It's a market I've worked in for uh, a decade. Um, so who are you going to meet today? Well, let me tell you a bit about her before she introduces herself fully. Um, she started off actually working in the uh, legal world as a court and litigation clerk, uh, so dealing with barristers and, and clients. And then quite some years ago, moved to Italy uh, as an Italian husband and was able to bring together the legal background with the fact that she spoke uh, Italian and a sales and business background uh, and an interest in property and started at one of the early British uh, agents selling property in Italy. Uh, so been doing that for many years now. It's quite high profile in that market. Uh, has appeared many times on TV and radio from A Place in the Sun uh, to ITV News and I Want That House. Uh, and it's been a, a mover and shaker in the international property world, trying to clear up that market, uh, make it more professional, uh, being chair of FOPDAC uh, and also an AIPP director for three years. So without further ado, let's find out the name, the details, the background of my guest today. Please introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Linda Travella, and I run a company called Casa Travella. We specialise in selling property in Italy and have been doing so for rather longer than I'd like to suggest. What's your favourite thing about sales? I think my favourite thing about sales is the interaction with people. And also, at the end of the day, they are normally and hopefully very, very happy. And the day being very flexible is also something I really love. What has made you successful in sales? I think being a woman um, and starting out very early on, I think determination has got to be what's really made me successful. I think that if you're not determined when you've gone through various recessions, then you would not be successful. And I think also when, when things are not going well, looking at ways to develop your business, um, that will help you when the, the market starts to, to pick up. What would you change about the world of sales? There's not really much I would change. Obviously, initially, when I first started out, I think there would be quite a lot I would change because I wasn't particularly taken seriously. Um, I'm small and blonde, and that doesn't really help matters. I know that that's a, an, an old adage, but it does have, it was, certainly was true. I think if anything I would change, it would be the public's perception of people that, that are in sales. They always think it's a sales pitch. They think you're often not, not necessarily telling the truth. Um, I did have a, a sort of um, a name for, for, for telling the truth, so I would tell people how it was. And if there was something that wasn't good about a house that I was selling or an area, I would, I would say that. But I think that's the public perception, although I think it has improved recently, Paul. And what would you like to talk about today? I'd like to talk about how sales have changed from the point of view of a woman in the years that I've been, I've been selling. Sales. 
Hello, Linda, and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Paul. Um, so we had, uh, we're going to talk today, as you just mentioned there, Linda, about um, how sales has changed. Um, probably we'll talk about how it's changed in general, and then also uh, particularly for being a woman in sales, as that's our focus for this series. But before we get into that, we actually had um, requests from our listeners um, a couple of weeks ago was to find out a little bit more about the background of people um, before we start talking about the issues involved. Now, some of this will come out in our chat today, but you could give us a, I don't know, a whistle-stop tour of, of, of how you got into sales in the first place and how you've ended up uh, in the position you are today. So I started out in, in with every position I had with uh, interactions with people. And actually, with regard to uh, a company, Casa Travella and Selling, I actually started that um, as a, when I went to Lake Como and saw an amazing opportunity and some fantastic properties. And it was really my husband that thought that uh, I would be able to, uh, to start up a company and actually start selling properties because I'd always had, I'd had my own business also selling clothes and various, various other um, things like that. So that was really how it started. Um, and I already obviously spoke to Italian and that helped. And having been a court and litigation clerk, I had a, a, a little basic knowledge also of the legal aspect which is also okay. extremely important. Mm. So a bit of uh, sales background, uh, the language side, the legal side, and then in Italy, Italian husband, like, hang on, I can put all these things together and actually run a business that combines them all. That, that is exactly what happened. Um, and the first time we put uh, an advert in the Times, actually we started with the Times, which at the time was extremely expensive and, and it was a big risk, really. So I think risk-taking is something else that's very important. Um, and we got loads of replies um and i sold three properties within the first three months so wow. um there was obviously a market there because mm. no one was selling on lake como um and you know but the risk was was big as well from our point of view because we didn't have anyone to back us in terms of financially we, mm. we did it all ourselves so and you know then i had to go and take a, a trip to italy which at the time, the flights were, you had to stay a Saturday night, otherwise it was ridiculously expensive. You may remember that. Um, and the cost of the flights were, hu were huge. And so there was a big risk financially, as well as, a, as, as, well as actually thinking, can I do this? I, I thought I could do the selling part, but, you know, can I launch myself as a woman to do this, really? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, um, as, as it occurs to me now, I'm quite surprised by this, but I don't think I've ever had on the show somebody from the world of international property, which is odd as I worked in that market myself for um, about a decade. So just staying with, with, with your company for a second, then we'll come to the, uh, the main theme. Um, people buying with you in Italy, are they buying for a full-time move like you have done? Are they buying for holiday homes? They buy for investment? What, what, what's the driver for people that you help? Mainly it's second homes, but I wouldn't say holiday homes because I, I consider there to be a, a very big difference. A second home is a, a property that people are using six or seven times a year, five or six times a year. Um, they will often rent the property, so it can be investment, but the majority of people will buy the property to use themselves and, and rent it. You do also get the people that are clients that are buying for, for investment. They might buy a, a sort of two-bedroom department and re mainly rent it out. And then the, the, the smaller percentage are the people that are actually going to live there. I wouldn't say it's small, but it's certainly smaller than the, than the, than the second home people. Right. Okay. 
Okay, all right. Let's talk about your your main topic. Uh, and thanks again for giving us your time to do that. And that's the the changing face of sales in your time. Well, where, where's best to start? Do we, do we go back to the beginning of your your early days in sales and 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 the sort of challenges that you had at that time? I think I don't think I realised quite how challenging it was going to be um, when I started. We it was a husband and wife team um, and. Everybody assumed when they when they phoned up, everyone assumed I was the receptionist, um, always asked to speak to my husband. Uh, and when I sort of said, well, no, he's not here because he, he never actually worked in the office ever and answered the phone, um, they really weren't very forthcoming, particularly the men. I mean, this is actually true. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. This, this is what happened. And and I, I have to convince them that I actually did know what I was talking about. Um, after speaking to them for 10 minutes, they were sort of, they were okay and they would chat but then after that I, I got an office manager who also uh, speaks Italian but he also had massive not problems but at, at the beginning they would always phone up and say we spoke he wasn't he wasn't any relation he was just a, he was an office manager and they would phone up and say oh um, we spoke to your wife yesterday and he would have to say oh, no no that's not my wife that's that's Linda she, she's actually the owner of the company and there would be a sort of pause. Oh, oh, I'm terribly sorry. And then they would try and speak to him about, uh, because he would deal with the initial inquiries, obviously, um, and follow-ups. But once it came to anything sort of more serious, talking about costs or talking about contracts or how you purchase, et cetera, et cetera, clearly he, he, he wouldn't do that. I would always do that. Um, and the, they would phone up, the people, the clients would phone up and actually say, oh, well, you know, can you, we, we, spoke to, um, we spoke to you yesterday, explain X, Y, Z. Um, and he would say, well, you need to speak to Linda. Oh, no, no, no we'd like to speak to you. And they would actually phone up and say, and I would answer the phone, and they'd say, oh, no, we spoke to, um, we spoke to Paolo yesterday. Could we speak to Paolo, please? Um, and I would have to explain. And it became, it became quite embarrassing, actually, to mm. him because this was always the same story. We, we laughed about it, but it, it, it was tricky. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess that's a cultural issue uh, and this was in Italy do, do you think I mean I would suspect that wasn't individual to Italy it was sort of a I don't know western society was that way then or, or do you think it was more a European or Italian thing no 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 this was this was the the people phoning up that wanted to buy so they were very often British right but it wasn't the, the Italians were a separate thing completely so the people that would be phoned because I'd be working with the Italians so they would be the people I'd be working with my colleagues in Italy, but the people that were phoning up as clients, they were the ones that always assumed that he was my husband, um, didn't really want to speak to me, I was a secretary or, or whatever. So I think it was, yes, it was, a, it was a cultural thing. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you, to be honest, you, you wouldn't dare do that nowadays. I mean, so that's right. a massive, I mean, I, it, ha, it did start to change. Obviously, it didn't continue like that, but it, that's a massive cultural change. Of course, that applied to Italy as well. Um, when I used to turn up perhaps for meetings, there'd be quite important people there. On one occasion, I remember I went to view some properties in Tuscany um, and they thought this was marvellous that, you know, I was coming from London and, and I sort of turned up and, and the mayor was there and all sorts of people. And I think they were absolutely shocked when they, when they saw me. You know, they obviously knew I was a woman, but I, I, I just don't think people, and actually I knew what I was talking, surprisingly enough, actually knew what I was talking about as well. Yeah. Amazing. And I spoke the language, you know? So um, it, it definitely was a cultural thing, Paul. Was there an element? I, I was getting flashbacks there to 
um, what, 1980s, uh, really. And in my head, yeah. I was thinking of uh, politics and I was thinking of Maggie Thatcher, who's, of course, a, you know, love or hate, a significant <laughs> political figure in the UK. And I, I remember at that time and uh, many times since I've heard women talk about Maggie Thatcher and say um, she didn't actually do much for women in lots of ways because there were there's just an opinion of some people um, because she almost had to act like a man um, to to be in that world. Do you think that was an element of that for you? Did you have to find that you had to, I don't know, even know what the characteristics would be, but not be yourself, be a different version of yourself in order to, to fit into that, that sort of scope that people had? Yes, I think that's, that's definitely true. Um, you would always have to be extremely smartly dressed with your suit. I mean, not that I'm not normally, but, you know, <laughs> be careful about what you... You know, pins, I mean, I, I have, you know, pinstripe suit, um, skirt rather than trousers, but nevertheless, I, I, I would do that. And I would have to be quite hard-nosed, I think. I can't explain really, mm. but you'd have to be very definite when you said something. And that's, that's not necessarily easy when you're speaking, because what I found was when, it, when I was actually in Italy, I would go to, you know, view, as I said, to view houses. And on one occasion... Um, my husband had a colleague who wanted to show us some new houses, um, and we went along. Um, Pietro said, uh, oh, wait, wait, you know, wait, wait till Linda's here and we'll go and have a look. So we went to look at the new houses, and the guy in charge uh, directed every single comment to my husband. So at one point, my husband said, well, it, actually, you need to speak to Linda because she's the one that's, because he was talking about contracts and things, right. other than technical matters, which my husband was the expert on. Um, and even if even though my husband said that, he continued the whole time for about an hour and a half talking to my husband. And when we got home, it was, it was, he was, you know, my husband, I'm really sorry. I said, well, it's not your fault. So it didn't matter what you did in certain cases, that was the case. But yes, I think you definitely had to be, and as I said, because of the way I look, but just people didn't think you could, you could do the job until you proved that you could, but you did have to prove that quite Quite definitely, let's let's put it like that, Paul. Yeah. So it would be fair to assume from that that clearly you stayed with it, and 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 it sounds like we're successful pretty quickly. And then you start building respect, and then I guess knowing a bit about the property market, then you become known, and so then 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 life's a little bit a um, little bit easier. But it seems logical to me that there would have been some people, r- real people in the real world at that time, trying to do what you were doing albeit perhaps in different markets who probably got turned away because they didn't stick with it you mentioned earlier about being resilient and an element that I've often covered in this series focus on women in sales is just how many women would be amazing in sales but haven't come into it because it's not always been a welcoming place so some like you probably didn't stick with it and, and went away to do a different job I guess I think there's no question about that I think also Maybe if you were working for a, a corporate company, it would be easier because that that would make. But when you're actually doing it yourself, so if someone you know starting up like me, uh, starting a business, I think yes, I think they would they would just think this is really hard. Um, I I can't put up with this because you did have to put up with certain things that that wouldn't happen now. Mm. But to be honest, you accepted it. It just wasn't. It was just one of those things that you knew you had to get over. So, yes, I think if you were a little bit sensitive, you wouldn't, you definitely wouldn't stick with it. Mm. Yeah. 
And I've, I've done quite a lot of work since I, I left the world of international property. A lot of the work I've done has been in commercial uh, property in London, which to some extent still remains pretty mm. male uh, dominated. There are more women in it now than there were. But I remember talking to a, a CEO of, of one of the major players in that world some years ago. And he said, actually, there's a decent proportion of the best people in commercial property are women. Um, and his theory was because you've got to be so good and so determined to stay with it as a woman in your first four or five years that by almost through natural selection, the ones that came through were absolutely outstanding at what they did. And international property is quite, I think, certainly from my time in it, I can think of several sort of women leaders in in property. And, you know, it's, uh, gosh, uh, 20 years ago now, I joined uh, that world. And, you know, my boss was a woman, uh, Tricia, who ran a French property company. There was another French property company run by a woman whose name escapes me uh, for a second. But it was it was far more balanced between male and female 20 years ago than even commercial property in London is now. Yes, I mean, I think that I think that's a very good point that the CEO made, that if you stick with it, then you've got to you've got to be good. I think that the point that I the thing that I found initially um, was you had to keep proving yourself. Mm. Uh, whereas if it was a man doing the same job, he wouldn't have to do. Oh, this is I'm going back, I'm going back now. And you, should, you know, when, when I sort of started the first, I don't know, the first 10 years, I'd say probably, you really had to prove that you were capable. And everyone was all surprised that I, you know, I knew technical words in Italian and things like that. They they just didn't expect you to do that. And I knew legal, you know, quite a lot of the legal was you know, the legal sort of jargon, if you like, mm. which is which is hard. Uh, it's and, and sometimes men didn't want to accept that either. Yeah. You know, so I think that that so yes, you, I think you, determination, as I said, was to me what really got me through, I think. Yeah. And when do you think it started to change? Because we when we first spoke about about doing this interview today, and you talked about having seen quite a lot of change. And it feels to me from what we said so far. There are maybe different kinds of change we're talking about. So you would have initiated your own change in a way because people would start to get to know you and that assumption around uh, that you think said, oh, the small blonde lady, uh, suddenly it's not the small blonde lady, it's Linda. And so you would have probably have earned respect um, through your reputation and that would have changed how people interact with you. But at the same time, there'd, be, there'd still be assumptions about the next Linda coming along. And so that feels like it's a second wave of change where it's, can I just be judged for, am I any good at property, not am I a man or a woman? So when, when do you think you've seen noticeable changes? I think around 2000, personally, okay. I, I would say that's what when it was because I was um, elected uh, chairman or chairperson um, of FOPDAC. In, which was the Federation of Overseas Property Developers, Agents and Consultants, um, in 2000. Um, I was the first woman chairman. Uh, I was called a chairman rather than a chairwoman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a choice that we made. And we got a, a lot of very positive press coverage about that. Um, and I was actually on uh, ITV News talking about, uh, talking about international property in Spain, Italy, France, et cetera, in 2000, I guess, 2003. I stayed in the position for four years. And I think I think that's when I personally saw things starting to change. We had more women on the committee. 
Um, well, that was also partly because I was chairman. I wanted more women. You know, I was I was encouraging more women to to to, to get to be get on the committee. So I think that that's when I started to see the change and people's the way people reacted seemed to be differently. Seemed different. Sorry, um, not to me, as you say, because I'd already sort of made my name. But the way I saw them react to other people in the industry and the various shows. You know, there were various shows. Uh, at that time, uh, the Dolce Vita and all sorts of other ones, uh, shows, uh, trade shows, and quite a lot of women were on the stands. So I think that, to me, 2000 onwards was when I saw the biggest change. And obviously now it's it's changed you know, completely, but mm. that's when I think it started personally. Yeah, that's interesting, because that's exactly when I joined uh, the market. December the 4th, 2000, uh, was oh. my first day. My first day selling uh, French property. Um, and that's a tough job. Same, same with FOPDAP for a second. So chairing um, a committee like that. So uh, as you'll know, we, I think, met eventually through uh, AIPP, which you've also uh, been very proactive uh, with. And when uh, I was setting up AIPP on behalf of members and, and obviously reporting into a board of people um, like you um, at that time, our first chair was, was Sue Ash, uh, who, you know, lovely lady who tragically, as you know, um, died at quite young a few years ago and she was absolutely brilliant at chairing and I remember towards the end of my time with AIPP uh, she stepped down I think there was some sort of guideline we had you couldn't be a chair for more than a certain number of years or so on and as often happens in life you only realize just how good somebody is when they're no longer doing it and then the next chair was, was perfectly good as well but she was a whole different level because that's a tough job right you're corralling a bunch of people who are giving their time freely who are in most cases all running their own businesses and trying to get them to come together to make change in a market that they don't have to make and uh they have other priorities so that's that was a challenging role i imagine it it was a very challenging role um and i think you always get nevertheless even though things were changing in 2000 you still had some of the men on the committee and as members who were like, what, what on earth is she doing? What's she doing there? So that, that sort of attitude. Yeah. Not obviously, but obvious to me, because I, I, I can sort of feel those sort of things. Um, and also, yes, I was trying to make changes because at the time, um, our website, uh, when I took over, got voted as the worst website, uh, a trade website. So I had to change that. And I got massive, huge, huge problems trying to do that from people being against what I was trying to do. Um, it was the best thing I ever did, frankly, but but it was really difficult um, because, you know, how dare you? It was it was that sort of attitude mm. and make these changes. Who are you? Um, and so yes, it was hard. And as you correctly point out, that people are all giving their time free. Um, and you all in any committee, as you know, Paul, better than anybody, if you have 12 people on a committee, um, then there'll be six people that do something and six people that talk a lot and don't actually do anything. I mean, that's yeah. that's sort of always happens. And it was trying to get the people that didn't do anything to do something is also another another sort of, you know, trying to cajole, I think is the word mm. I use, them to do that. So, yes, it, it, it was very it was very tough. But I, I was on, I got quite a lot of media coverage, which was good. Good, good for FOPDAP, obviously. Um, I did some radio you know, BBC radio programs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Always, of course, promoting FOPDAP. Um, so yes, it was a tough role. I imagine I may, I may make a contentious point here, Linda, um, but I wouldn't mind betting that um, you were 
a better story being a woman chair of FOPDAC um, PR-wise that actually made it a more attractive story to the press? Absolutely, and that, that didn't please some people. That, it, some people in, in FOPDAC weren't happy because they thought that I was deliberately trying to promote my company, which was completely and utterly a lie, actually. Mm. Um, I always, in fact, I very often didn't even say, you know, I wasn't even allowed to say that I was, you know, I was director of Casa Travella. I just was able to say, I'm chairman of FOPDAC. Uh, and if people ask me, sometimes I would say I sell property in Italy. But yes, that did cause some problems for me, actually, um, right. on the way. So that that is, uh, yes, because it was a good news story, wasn't it? Mm. Because yeah. if you look back, Paul, which is when you first started, as you said, how many women were in, you know, doing something like that? It was very, very, un- I don't, I'm not mm. sure that there was anybody, apart from we're talking about big corporate companies, maybe. But even yeah. then, you know, it was, it was very unusual. Yeah. Still weren't many. And you still go back to those exhibitions um, at that time, which, by the way, was, you know, an absolute dream period to be in the overseas property market. That, you what know, it two, just? 2000 to 2005. I didn't realise how lucky I was then. Um, uh, that I do now, but you still had so sort of moving it back to the women idea uh, in sales. There were still plenty of those exhibitions, and there were so many of them then, uh, as you'll remember, where you would it wasn't as bad as some of the say big car uh, exhibitions, but you would have young, attractive women being employed on stands, looking a certain way, um, which I hope is less prevalent now. But that immediately causes. I think, a challenge around how women were perceived in business because we generalise a little bit, right? We walk in and we see lots of young girls and not quite draped over bonnets of cars, but not a million miles off that. They're employed by some of the big developers, if you like, and it immediately, you know, I'm not quite sure where I stand on it because I respect the right of a grown-up woman to choose how she wants to make her money, but I don't think it helps with the perception of women being taken seriously in business. I can tell you a story about that, actually. I, um, I'd i forgotten about this until you, until you just mentioned it. I had a, I did a show and I it was some of my people uh, came over from Como uh, because sometimes people would come over, as, you know, and, and go on stand um, and they sort of helped financially as well. Uh, and so they came over from Como, there were two guys, with a younger guy and an older guy, that, um, and there was me, obviously, and I'd organised the whole thing. Um, they said to me uh, a couple of days beforehand, um, and I, I was, you know, obviously it was quite a long time ago, uh, don't you think we need to get um, a young girl, you know, someone in a sort of short skirt? And I said, no, we do not need to get, this is completely true, we are not, well, and I could see them not looking very happy about it, and I said, um, no, I said, I'm on the stand, I'm a woman, we don't need young girls in short skirts, and that's a true story. And that's what thought would encourage clients. Well, no, because actually what we want to do is encourage serious clients, not ones that are coming to look at the young girls in their short skirt or whatever. Yeah. And that's a story. Yeah, it was pretty common. Uh, I do remember uh, that being the case. Um, just making me smile as well. I want to come back to your TV uh, mention there, because I know you've done quite a bit of TV. I want to just got a couple of questions on that. But uh, it made me smile when you mentioned ITV there, because um, it was when, yeah, it was when I was doing French property. And uh, I got invited onto what I thought was ITV News. 
And I was picked up on a Saturday morning, really quite early. And I remember thinking, this is a bit odd, Saturday morning, ITV News. You know, I, I know when the ITV News is on and it's not Saturday morning. Anyway, long story short, end up, end up being, I think it was the ITV News channel that, that doesn't okay. exist anymore. So I was there, or whatever it was, eight o'clock doing the ITV News channel. And uh, I was just about to come on. So they give me the, the lead in and they're going to a quick commercial break and then come back and going to talk about French property. And there was some sort of um, uh, sporting event going on at the time. It was either the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games. I forget which one. And they went to the weatherman just before the commercial break, before I was on. And as he round up, rounding things up, he went, oh, and we've got some results in from that survey uh, that, that we're uh, conducting with our viewers about has, has, has Great Britain done well in the Commonwealth Games? Yes or no? And so far, we're at uh, 66% saying yes and 33% saying no. Uh, and we'll update you later. And then off they went to the commercial break. And whilst we're off air, the weatherman turned to myself and the presenter, whose name escapes me, and just said, do you know how many people have voted? And I said, no, I went three. So actually the score was 2-1. <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's actually three people watching this show on ITV News before I come on. Um, but you've done quite a bit away from the news. You've done, uh, if I remember rightly, A Place in the Sun. There's various bits that you've done, um, which I would have thought I mean, you got it because you, you you know your stuff about property rather than being a woman. But tell, tell us a bit about that. How how does somebody running the business that you run end up, you know, lots of radio appearances, TV appearances? Um, well, it was really people coming to me. I didn't ever put myself forward to do anything. Um, you know what it's like with this sort of thing. They will they will sort of uh, speak to you, see if they think you're okay when you speak, and et cetera, et cetera. You send them a photograph at the time, you know, whatever. Um, and I was asked to do the first thing I think I did, apart from the ITV News, um, I think the first thing I did was a, a programme called I Want That House uh, with Mark Simpkins, which was Channel 4. And they asked me to do the first ones, and, and I had to go to Italy, so I went to, to Luca, um, and they liked what I did. And then they asked me to do another one. So I did about four programmes, five, I think, uh, culminating in one which was live from Florida, uh, where we gave away property. Was, there were four of us, and it was a live, it was actually live, you know, with the, with the ads and everything in between. Um, and so I did that. And then I got contacted by Placing the Sun um, to, to go to, on Lake Como. It was marvellous, actually. We were on a boat, Amanda Lamb and I were on the boat on Lake Como, sitting on the edge of the boat, which is sitting on the edge, which, you know, you're going past. It was quite tricky, I can tell you. And she's massively, she's really tall. Yes. And I'm not tall. So when I went to meet her the first time, I was saying, well, what sort of shoes should I wear? Well, you're on a boat, really. So don't really want anything on. And then they looked at my height and I went, maybe wear some sandals. (laughs) (laughs) She was sort of here and I was down here. Uh, but that was absolutely great. Um, and they showed that, and part of it being on TV, uh, one of the Place in the Sun exhibitions, they showed that actually on on the screen because I got people came up to me a few times after that. Right. Um, and I also recorded things for Channel 4, but they were all where I was asked to do these, um, these shows. It wasn't me putting myself forward and saying, oh, I'd like to be on TV or I'd like to be on the radio. Uh, it was all me being sort of contacted. I don't know whether that was because I was a woman. I wouldn't have thought so, but I, I wouldn't like to say whether they preferred that or whether, you know, really, I, I don't know whether it was because they liked what I did and so they saw something and then they saw something else. I'm not yeah. really sure. 
Well, I, 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 I don't know either. I think there's an element that once you appear on something, um, TV companies and radio hosts are happier because they know you're not going to freeze. Um, you're not going to yeah. fail to turn up, which I know they have uh, quite often. Just talking about a place in a sun there. Um, I, I read recently about Johnny Irwin being really, which is shocking. Was, uh, so young. Um, yeah, well, so young. He was always my favourite of the presenters, by the way. Um, lovely, lovely guy. I can't claim to know Johnny well, but we met at the, sh- met at the shows a few times, had a few uh, drinks afterwards. Um, and I thought he was very, very good on TV, but I also like the fact, and you'll know this as well, that he's actually a property man. So, you know, he's grown up in property, he's a surveyor from a rightly uh, background and so on. So he knows his stuff on property as well as presenting and, and being a lovely guy. But, um, but yeah, if you are tuning in, Johnny, then... Uh, all our very best wishes uh, to you. Um, sorry you've been unwell. Although I do recall that he's uh, carried on longer than people thought he was going to. The doctors uh, gave him a certain period of time, didn't they? And he's gone beyond right. that. But uh, genuinely, a genuinely lovely man. Um, and then just going back, Linda, to a bit about those those changes um, of being a woman in sales. And so there's that element for you. You talked about it being like in the year around, you felt like in the around the year 2000. I know this is difficult for you to know because you've got to talk about yourself again on it, but I would suggest there's quite a strong argument and, and partly why I'm focusing on women in sales in this series is that you need to see women leaders um, in order to realise as a woman, a younger woman going into sales, that you too can do that, and whether that's in business or in sales. And so I can recall that time I said earlier, there were quite a lot of women leaders uh, around who probably faced the same tough baptism that you had do you think that played a part that there were the likes of you Tricia, my old boss penny that's right the other lady uh in french property hold on that's right yes yeah are you penny yeah yeah and there were quite a few women leaders of business which i think would have would have probably helped that change right because you've got enough of them there leading the way i think that i think that's definitely true um and i i it seems like you obviously had a couple in, in the french property market i don't remember any uh, initially in the Italian property market, I was definitely the first, and I don't remember any coming along until much later. Actually, to be fair, um, but yes, I think I think people have got to have someone to look up to. They've got to be able to say, "Well, she's doing that. Why, why can't I do that?" And I think the other thing about sales that even if you don't want to, if if you're not a person that wants to interact all the time with people, there are lots of lots of positions in sales. Uh, office positions that you can that you can you know choose to do which which are great because it's a very varied type of lifestyle so if you want to get something varied but you don't necessarily want to have you know like I said my, like, like, like you I think we like the interaction but not everyone does but there are still lots of positions Paul aren't there that people can take up um, as a woman without having doing exactly that you know yeah well I'm, I'm a huge believer that everyone sells ultimately um, whatever job you're doing, you're either selling something internally or externally. You might not make your money, you know, your commission check from uh, selling a property. But there was there was a survey done actually by uh, Gallup, uh, commissioned by um, the writer Daniel Pink uh, for his book To Sell Is Human, uh, which is a really, really good book. And um, they surveyed uh, over a thousand people uh, doing various different jobs from, from admin to marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and actually, the analysis showed that even people in non-sales job, uh, sales jobs spend about 40% of their working life selling. 
So persuading, influencing, uh, negotiating, whatever it might be. And again, going back to my French property days, and, and this will be a familiar story for you as well, I think. We um, we were very good. It wasn't my company. I was working for a company called VEF, and, and we were good at what we did, and we had lawyers in-house and so on. And I was always quite surprised, bearing in mind we, we had a good service and, and we had professional people delivering it, that our level of referrals were not as good as they should have been. And then I looked at it, and actually what happens is the salespeople, the, those that have built the relationship with the buyer, um, don't really interact with them very much during the process because they go across to the legal team. And so actually the contact that a buyer would have, and as you'll know, in, in France, it's you know three or four months of mm. contractual stuff uh, in the buying process. So about three or four months of contact with, with lawyers and, and our finance team who are chasing you out to pay your money. Uh, and, and that's you know not leaving that warm glow, if you like, at the end of it and trying to get our French lawyers to understand that you're not in sales, but you are in customer experience. And it's really important that people leave feeling like they've been loved and cared for and kept updated. And I think lawyers, very much Peter Estes, another uh, name that you'll know well. I remember meeting Peter at an event that you were at, actually, as well, uh, a few years ago. Um, I think it was an AIPP event, if not something similar. And he talked about, I think I quoted in my book, he said, um, even though I'm a lawyer, my first job is a salesperson. Because if I fail to sell my services, I don't get to practice law. So I think you're right. Whatever job you're in, whether male or female, you can be around sales and you will learn some sales skills and they will help you in the job. But I think that people think of sales, that, that's really my point, I think, and, and you've just, just confirmed it. People think of sales as you know, going out and actually selling something, going and selling a car or going and selling a property or, or selling some clothes. But actually, as you say, a lawyer is selling these services. Mm. But they would never think of that as being, they would never think of it like that, would they, really? I mean, people did, but in general terms, people don't. So I think that's, isn't it very, it's very important. To, it, it's a skill, basically. It is a skill you can learn or you might have a natural talent for it. It depends. Mm. It depends. What you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it, I think. Yeah. Oh, you raised a nice point there. Let's stay with that one for a second. Um, so you talked there about a skill you can learn or a natural talent. Which one is it? Bit of both, I think. I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think what what for me was um, important, you know, when you've been in the business a while, you don't know it all, um, but you get a little bit blase about things. And when I did some AIPP, um, the, the webinars, uh, when we had the pandemic, which I, I, think, uh, I think I was on nearly all of them, uh, it makes you sit up and go, well, I haven't been doing that recently. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I, I need to count how many leads I'm getting from this portal and that portal, for example. You know, mm. when I, think it was, um, I think it was Chris from Publicable Marketing that, Marketing that was saying that. And I haven't been doing that. And then when I start to look at it, I think, oh, actually, no, this is really good. This one isn't so good. So you, even though that's something you know you should do, mm. you, you can learn all the time. And I think it's, it's a mixture of, of talent, if you like, and skill and learning and learning a new skill. Mm. Uh, and I think it depends on, on you as a person because everyone's different, aren't they? They all deal yeah. with it in a different way. So yeah. I think both. You're right. And I, I, it's one of, my, one of the things I love about sales is there's many, many different ways to do it, uh, even in the same markets. Uh, I think for most of us, we'd probably agree that 
a skill that you have to either have or develop is to not talk too much and ask lots of questions and get to know people. And that's how we can advise them properly. So I don't think there'd be many exceptions to that. But beyond that, there are so many different ways uh, to do it. And obviously, I do sales training. That's what I do. And, and my angle normally is that we tend to think of training being, uh, oh, I have to learn something new. And I'll say, well, listen, I'll be delighted if I can teach you something new, but that's not the benefit of training. The importance of training is not to change what you know, it's to change what you do. And you normally know what to do, you just don't do it. Which you is know, just the, what the, I'm the, exactly yeah. right. Exactly, exactly when I do these seminars, I'm like, oh, I haven't been doing that. Because I think when you when you sort of work in a small business, it's a bit more difficult. If you're in a, in a larger company or corporate business, you've got everyone doing a, a certain job. But, you know, me that has to lead the way and say to my office manager, for example, oh, well, you need to count how many leads you've got from this or that or whatever it is. And that's absolutely 100% true. And so when people turn their nose up and they go, well, we don't need any training, we, we, you know, we, we know all that, I, that, it, that definitely isn't true. Mm. I'm often asked as well, I want to throw this question at you and then I'll, uh, I'll give my answer. This is not uh, unique to women in sales, just people in sales generally. And I've often been asked, um, can you teach anyone to be good at sales? And before I give my answer, and it's not a simple answer, uh, obviously, uh, but just be interested what your thoughts are. You've obviously employed lots of people, seen lots of people over the years. Do you think you can teach anyone to be good at sales? Um, I'm not sure anybody, no. I think the majority of people, I would say. Uh, but you, I think that you do have to have a certain type of mindset Yes, you can be trained in almost anything. Um, I'm sure I could be trained to do things that I can't do, you know, technical things. I'm not very good technically, and I'm sure I could be trained, but I think it would take quite a lot longer to train someone who, who let's say, is not automatically, um, their brain perhaps isn't that way inclined. So I think that 70% probably you could. Maybe there is 30% or 20% that it would be more difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible. Mm. I think it is possible, but I think it's, uh, yes, it's a very difficult question. Um, mm. uh, what, what's your thoughts? Well, I'm not a million miles away from where you are. Uh, I was sort of, actually, the first time I was asked it was, that I can remember, was at an international property exhibition and a couple of lovely chaps, Jeff and Peter, I can't remember their company uh, name, but you'd, you'd remember them um, if you saw them because they're around for years. And they asked me, like, oh, do you, you know, can you teach anyone to be good at sales? I said, it's a good question, but it's the wrong question. The right question is, can you help anybody to become better at communication? And the answer to that is, well, yes, of course you can. You can help anyone to get better at communication. Whether they can then go on to be a good salesperson is probably much more about mindset than it is about skill set, or whether you want to do it or not. Because if you, there are some jobs that I think you can do that you don't need to be all that into it to do it. But I think in sales, you have to be into it because it's tough. It, you know, the, the level of rejection and the level of, difficulty and complexity sales I don't think you can hate sales and stay in it um, because it would just drive you absolutely bonkers so I think it's more about the, as you touched on it's more about the mindset of well do you want to do sales because if you don't want to do sales then then don't do it because it's torturous um, as a job but you should still learn sales skills because they'll help you to be better at anything I think that's true and another word that comes to mind Paul um, which I don't think is a word that we've mentioned yet is patience mm. To have, like, I'm. It's really strange. In in ninety percent of aspects, I'm very very patient, and in a small percentage of 
which doesn't affect anything to do with my business. Um, but with things, I'm not patient. You know, I'm not patient with things. But in terms of anything else, I'm very, very patient. I look at ways that we can get the right answer rather than trying to find the wrong answer, let's say. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, it's another good point. I want to stay on that for a second because I, I agree with you. And yet I think there's also, I think that combination of the two is important. And I think it's one of the difficulties about being good at sales is you almost have to be mutual opposites sometimes. So I think you have to be patient for the reasons you said, but I think you also have to be impatient to some extent because you want to, you know, I think salespeople and business people make things happen. And to make things happen, there has to be a sense of momentum and urgency and and I'm a move maker. I'm going to move this forward. And in sales, that doesn't always mean they're going to buy. It just means they're going to move forward and either not buy or buy. But it's that sitting in the maybe we're thinking about it mode, uh, which is really unproductive for everybody and happens an enormous amount in property um, mm, in does. particular. And I think it's partly choosing when to be patient, when to be impatient. And I think there are times when uh, we should always listen to clients. But there are occasions when you need to ignore clients because sometimes they just say silly things. So I'm, I'm thinking back now, again, to a property show that I was reminded of yesterday uh, on a training session I did. And it's when people come up with unrealistic expectations, which oh. is, is, you know, happens so often in property. And I can still recall whenever people would say, obviously my, my market was France, not Italy. And people would say, oh, I'm looking for you know, a two-bedroom, uh, terraced house, 100,000 south of France, blah, blah, blah. And in the early days of me selling, I used to say to people, oh, I can just tell you now, you won't find that. Uh, but people don't like being told that. And uh -huh. so I learned, it's probably Tricia, my old boss, probably taught me this, uh, to say to people, like, listen to their brief. And internally, you're thinking you've got absolutely no chance. But don't tell them that. Say, oh, OK. And have you seen anything like that? Because then the answer is going to be no. Because yeah. they haven't seen, because they don't exist uh, at uh -huh. all. But we're very bad. And I've been bad myself. I can still remember... The house we're in now, but when we were looking at buying uh, this house and, and previous houses, my wife had done lots of the research, and I kept saying, no, it's not quite right, I don't think this, I don't think that, and she was saying, Paul, I want all the things that you want. They just cost about half a million pounds more than we've got, so <laughs> you're just in a completely, you're in la-la land of doing yeah. it, so is that balance of so often having to, you know the answer, to a client, but you have to hold back the answer to the side. Sometimes you need to listen to them. Sometimes you need to ignore them. Sometimes you need to be patient. Sometimes you need to be impatient. And it's something I always cover in my training is I can't tell you when to do those things. My job is just to give you, um, often refer to sales skills as, as like tools in a toolkit. If you've only got a hammer in your toolkit, you're pretty limited in what you can do. But if you've got a range of tools in your toolkit and you know how to use them all, then you have choices when the time comes. But nobody can teach you to say, when they say X, you say Y. When they say A, you say B, because there's so many variations. And I think the other thing is what I do when people who have got unrealistic expectations, um, they'll say, you know, as you say, we want, uh, you know, a swimming pool and uh, four bedrooms and on Lake Como for 200,000. And you know that's not going to happen. So what I do sometimes is I say, well, um, that might be a little difficult, but on the other hand, have you thought about looking at uh, Tuscany? I mean, just giving you an example. Mm. So I sort of try and put another idea into their mind um, as well, which is also another another way of not saying, oh, don't be ridiculous, which is what you want to say, of course, yes. really. Yes. <laughs> but, 
Well, every almost every buying decision in life, unless you're, I guess, Elon Musk with billions coming out of your ears, almost every buying decision carries a compromise. And once you accept that, you're then just choosing which compromise you're willing to accept. That's right. Exactly that. That is that. That is. Uh, in fact, it's funny because I'm I'm and I'm about changing my car. Um, I don't need to, but anyway, for various reasons, I'm thinking of it. Um, and I'm I'm looking at you know what do I need and what don't I need? What are the most important you know the three most important things I must have, etc. And you are quite right. It's about compromise, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Yes. Um, just, just a quick uh, sort of word to listeners uh, directly for a second, Linda. Normally we we take a, um, like a mini break and then say, let's talk about women in sales. But actually, we've been talking about women in sales all the way through. So for listeners, we're not going to take that break on this. We're just going to keep going. Uh, just for a few more minutes, Linda, um, got a couple more questions about the change um, that you've seen and how that will be different for uh, Linda, the equivalent of Linda in 2022, and how that would feel for her. And then we're going to finish up with me uh, asking you about the um, sources of inspiration that you found and with books or speakers or whatever it might be. So back to that point on what's different. So if Linda is turning up now in the world of business, in the world of sales in 2022, and we'll have listeners out there, they may not be called Linda, uh, but you know, in that position, what's the different world they'll face now? How is it different from, from when you came in? Well, firstly, they would not have the problem of not being accepted because for two reasons. The first reason being that that, that wouldn't be allowed nowadays. You couldn't, you could not, you know, not accept someone. They would be acceptable. And I think you still got you still got to prove yourself, whatever the case. But mm. if you want to go into sales now, I I think make sure you're prepared. You're you're professional. I think that's these are two things. Be prepared for what you're going to do. So if you're going to sell in you know, in London or whether it's going to be in France or Italy or whatever it is, make sure you know what you're talking about. So that's a very important point. And I and I, you, nowadays it doesn't matter whether you turn up in a pinstripe suit. In fact, you probably wouldn't be expected to turn up in a pinstripe suit that, because nowadays things are much more casual um, and you would be accepted for who you are as long as you know what you're talking about. So I think the answer is, I think it would be much easier now to go into sales or if you wanted to start a company up. But very importantly, make sure you know where you're going, i.e., you know, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I want to start selling property in, in Spain or whatever it is. Can I speak Spanish? Do I need to speak Spanish? You know, uh, do I have... Do I have legal experience? Look at every aspect and make sure you've got that in place. And I don't, I honestly don't think you'll have a problem. And I think training as well. If, if you haven't, you know, if you're young and you haven't um, been in sales before or direct, I call direct sales, mm. then do get some training. Come to you, Paul, of course. <laughs> there you go. Go, you do my sales for me, Linda. <laughs> but yes, I mean, training, if you're not used to it, go into training. Um, and make sure you know where you're going. But I don't think you'd have anywhere near the problems mm. that I had. You you haven't got to keep proving yourself every time you do something. Um, yeah. You've got to prove that you know what you're talking about, but not prove. But that applies to a man as well. Yeah, doesn't. It? So. Yeah, I, I agree. I think so. And I think I think even away from the gender issue, you know, you do probably have to work a bit harder when you're younger to get respect. Of course, you, you know do. it's it's a bit tougher, and I've, and I've seen it in in some sales companies I've been into where you can have the you know the twenty two year old whether it's a boy or a girl 
Um, and they're great on the phone because over the phone, they sound like, I don't know, mid thirties, mid forties. And then they go out and meet people and, you know, they're perhaps meeting a 55 year old CEO and you've got to work a bit harder. But it doesn't matter. And my angle on that, whether it's about being a man or a woman or being young or old is you, you can rail against unfairness, but it's not going to get you anywhere. I think you just have to recognize that's the way it is. It doesn't mean we don't try and change it, by the way, but it's very rare that one person changes it. You just have to recognize that's the reality. And so work out a way around it. And of course, I'm going to agree with you on training. It doesn't matter if it's me or somebody else, but it's one of my frustrations around sales would be that because by the time people come to sales, they've got some idea of probably how to communicate with people. So they're not bad at it. And so we have this belief that, oh, you've either got it or you haven't. Um, and I don't think it matters whether that's true or not true. The point would be, if you look at any field of human endeavor, the people at the top didn't just have it. You know, Roger Federer could maybe hit a tennis ball, but he still had trainers and coaches and physios and so on. And, and singers have coaches. And, you know, there's, there's elements of having talent, but there's elements then of being able to put that into practice day in, day out. And, and I think that that element is changing. I think. You know, we we still in the UK spend uh, half of what the uh, European countries spend on training in the corporate world. Really? I think it's, yeah, I think it's getting uh, a little bit. Our investment in training is appalling compared to the uh, uh, most European countries. But in addition, I think there's more of a focus now on whether it's a coach or a mentor or just having somebody that you can chat to. Because as you touched on earlier, um, just sometimes it's just a trigger to remind you of that thing that you used to do eight years ago, five years ago, two years ago, and you just got out of the habit of doing it. And whether young or old, male or female, you'll have much better chance of being successful consistently if you've got some sort of process and structure that you can follow. And I think hard work, Paul, that's the other thing. Particularly when you first start out, you've got to work hard. It's not just going to all fall in your lap. If people think it is, maybe it does for some people and that's fine. But in general, it doesn't. Yes. Let's stay on that. I've got one more, one question on that, and then we better come to your sources of inspiration and then uh, wrap things up. So I was chatting yesterday to a client about um, Elon Musk going into Twitter, and I'm not you know a fan of his or Twitter in particular, but um, and I don't think that he announced it very well. But I've got no issue with with the the thread that Elon Musk um, said apparently early on at Twitter. He might have not said it very well, which was we need to really get stuck in here and really work hard. And if you're not willing to do that, then, then you probably shouldn't be here. And the client I was with yesterday, they, they did a briefing with their team, which is much more gentle than that. But it was a little bit of, hey, we've probably got a six to nine months here of it being tougher. And we're probably yeah. going to have to work 50% harder and get 25% less business coming through the door. But yeah. that's the reality of what we're going to do. And one element I was sharing with this team yesterday was, None of us really know the secret of success, right? There's endless books on it and, and, and so on. But of all the successful people I've met in my, let's say, 20 years of properly being in sales, being in business, the only common denominator is they all work their backsides off. And that's, I mean, I used to work, not, not, not now, because as you say, it's quieter, but I was working six and a half days a week when it was busy. I was working six and a half days a week, you know? Yeah. What you've got to do. So anyone thinking it's an easy ride, then that that isn't the case. No, no, nobody gets there. You can have little bits of luck sometimes. You can join a market yes. at the right time, which is what I did in two thousand. I thought I was fantastic. I actually, just joined a market when it went crazy. 
and you get those little breaks. But over, over year after year after year, decade after decade, um, you don't fluke it. You, you, you do it through hard work and that gives you the much more opportunity. Right, Linda, we're coming to our final bit here uh, where I always ask our guests to share sources of inspiration. It's one of my favourite bits of the podcast because I always like to read books that I haven't heard of before or find speakers or listen to podcasts that I haven't heard of uh, before. They can be sales linked. They could be women in business linked. They can be life uh, linked. Do you have any sources of inspiration that you can share with well, us? Not, not with regard to books, et cetera, but it's a rather sort of um, odd one, I guess, in a way. I used to be a court and litigation clerk uh, for a, a lawyer, as I think I mentioned before, uh, when I was young. And I used to go to court and represent the solicitors and and I'd have the client and the barrister. So I used to be with barristers very, you know, every day. And I was with a barrister one day um, and she was called Hilary Heilbrunn. And she actually is the daughter of the first woman judge, Rose Heilbrunn. She was the first woman judge. Um, And I went to court a couple of times with her daughter, who was very, very nice. She's now a silk, I think. She's a QC. Um, And at that particular time, I was offered to be articled to a solicitors. And I didn't have any, and I, I can remember talking to her about it and saying, well, I don't think I will. I think it'd be very difficult for me to do this because I don't, you know, in the family, there's no one. I don't have any backup, sort of no one's been lawyers or anything like that. Um, and although I didn't go on to take up that opportunity for various reasons, but she I can remember her saying to me, and I think it did, I think this did actually have an effect on me, but you can do anything if you want to do it. You know, do you want to do this, um, lawyer or whatever? Well, I do, but I don't don't think I've got the right sort of background because I'm a woman. By the way, that was Mm. the reason, because I was a woman. Um, Imagine me at 20 or whatever trying to go in to do something like that. I would never have been taken seriously, and I thought the, the, the journey was so hard. Uh, would have been, would have been so hard, and I think it would have been, and I think probably it was the right decision. However, her saying to me, "Well, you can do, you know, if you really want to do something, you, you can do it." I mean, obviously, she had a mother who was the first woman judge. That was a little bit mm. different. Yeah. But nevertheless, that did resonate with me, and actually, I think that did stay with me, even though I didn't realise it. Mm. Um, so I think that was one thing, and the other. The other inspiration is not something that anyone can read or look at. It's just my own perception. It, the fact that because I was doing something that nobody else did gave me inspiration to say what, or determination to say, well, actually, I can do this. You know, no one else is doing it. Doesn't mean I can't do it. And so I was sort of it was it was a a, a double-edged sword, if you like. That it was very it was hard. It was going to be hard. But I always remembered her saying to me, well, you know, if you want to do something and it's feasible, then, mm. you know, try it. And, and, and that's it. I don't have, I'm sorry, I don't have podcasts or, or other books or anything like that. But they're the two things that I feel have sort of inspired me, really. Yeah. But it reminds me of that uh, lovely quote. I think it's from Henry Ford. Um, but listeners, forgive me if I'm wrong. Uh, and he said, um, whether you think you can or that you can't, you'll probably be right. Yeah. It's having that belief, right? Which, like you say, from when you started was harder as a woman. It's easier now, but you, there are going to be challenges. There are going to be blocks. There are going to be days when you want to give it up. Uh, but if you want to do it and, and you can make it, you, you'll find a way to make it work in in most cases. If yeah, you want to. most definitely, Paul. Most definitely. 
Great. Well, that's a nice upbeat place to uh, wrap things up, uh, Linda, as we near the hour mark. So thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed catching up with you. Uh, I don't think we've ever talked for this long in, in one, uh, <laughs> one go before. We've normally met in places with lots of people around and having a glass of wine or something like that. So, so thank you so much uh, for your time today. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. It's been a pleasure. And how do people find you, Linda, if they want to get in touch, if they're thinking, oh, that second home in Italy, uh, we'll, we'll make sure that your contact details are on the uh, podcast listing as well. But just how do people get, get in touch with you if, they've, uh, if they'd like to do so? Okay, that's, uh, that's uh, absolutely fine. All the details will be available, yes? Yes, yeah, we'll put the company website on and your details. And I think you're on LinkedIn as well if you want to come to you. I'm on LinkedIn. Direct. On yeah. It's casatravella.com. It's quite simple, really. So, um, right. yes, yeah, so very easy to get in touch. I'm on all social medias and LinkedIn as well. Great. Thank you so much. And, and thank you to our listeners for taking an hour of your time today uh, to listen to myself and Linda catching up, talking about women in sales. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, I ask you to do Three things. Number one, uh, please subscribe. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Uh, secondly, if you have enjoyed today, then just tell one other person about it. And thirdly, and more importantly, come back for the next episode. Uh, my name is Paul Owen, and this has been the Sales Talent Podcast. Mm-hmm.